why did I want to just play one part in somebody else's story when I can literally play every part, create the story and like dictate the outcome? you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. Today, I have Jenny Mollen with me, otherwise known as Jenny Mollen Biggs. Her husband is actor Jason Biggs. They have a very uh, public relationship on social media, and it is quite funny, uh, which is why I bring it up. Jenny is an actress and a New York Times bestselling author. She is super smart. She is also not afraid to throw down an F-bomb. So we have the explicit rating today. If you've got kids around, I suggest earmuffs. Maybe pause this one and come back to it later. If you are easily offended by language, I say either pause it or just don't listen at all. There's plenty of other episodes. Uh, I found her to be really, really funny and refreshing. She does not hold back. That is uh, the charm that she has. That is why she has 415,000 Instagram followers, I think it is right now, and they are very engaged because she says things that other people are afraid to say. And uh, she has, in addition to the New York Times bestselling books, we get into her writing. She also uh, had a humor column for The Smoking Jacket, a website which is affiliated with Playboy. She had an advice column for Playboy. Uh, In 2013, she signed with St. Martin's Press and uh, wrote a book of comedic essays, I Like You Just the Way I Am. And that book reached number 10 on the New York Times bestseller list. Her next book, Live Fast, Die Hot, which also became a New York Times bestseller, got to number eight in humor, was optioned by Warner Brothers and Hathaway attached to Star, is also now, I, I believe, an executive producer on that. But we, we really do get into how Jenny came to start writing. And it's a really cool story for this particular audience. Uh, she she has pivoted and pivoted well. And, you know, we talk about failure is opportunity. She says it as failure is the best gift. And it, it really led her to uh, some pretty crazy opportunities. So I'm excited to bring her to you. We have a lot of back and forth. I think I talk a little too much in this one, had to cut myself out a little, um, but I think you will enjoy it. And, uh, just really enjoy her uh, her ability to just uh, let it rip. I I really appreciated it. Here she is, Jenny Mullen. The first thing I would say is is you're very surprising to kind of to kind of like start to look you up a little bit because really I I know you just a little bit from Instagram. I think you're right. really funny. And then I started to look and I'm like, oh my God, she has done a lot of stuff. I mean, you're a New York Times bestselling author. You've written two books. You've done, you've done a bunch of stuff. That's uh, so nice. You, no, Why really, does it still feel like I've done nothing at the same time? <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I feel that way. I think everybody I talk to says the same thing. Like, you know, I just heard Hugh Jackman on an interview and he was like, I feel like I haven't done anything. I'm like, really? <laughs> That's funny. Because if you haven't done anything, then what does that make make me? Um, so I guess, I guess I, we could kind of start with, you know, maybe we'll wind the clock back to growing up in Arizona. Your your dad is is a doctor. Is your mom yes. as well? I wasn't sure about uh, that. My mom's a nurse. A nurse. Okay. Uh-huh. And 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 you, what was that childhood like? Like to me, you you know where you are current day, very funny, very irreverent. Like I'm wondering where, like did, did, when you were like a little girl, were you already pushing the envelope? Were you, did this come about later? Like where did it, you know, what was it? I think it was definitely like a pleaser as a child and um, very shy at first. Um, And... 
had a lot of insecurities, struggled with dyslexia, felt like, oh, I'm never going to be good enough, which I think still sort of like haunts me till this day. My parents divorced when I was two and my parents have both been married multiple times. And I grew up sort of going back and forth between the two of them. My mom is like my child, you know, she's very wild. And I, I do feel like now she's like my sister. When I was growing up, she felt like she was my kid. But now she's graduated. You know, she has a bit more, I think, maturity <laughs> at this point, at this age. Uh, and now I feel like we're maybe equals. But at the time, it was like, you know, she was just like this cool, crazy kid that I was trying to, you know, like when a mom tries to like be the cool mom to be able to hang out with her kid. That was me. And then my mom was the kid who was like, can you like find your own thing? I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, yeah, um, I saw I saw some quote where you were like uh, you said something about your mom wanted you to get a fake ID so she, so you could hang out with her. <laughs> yes, at fifteen she's like you're gonna need a fake ID if you want to keep hanging out with me. <laughs> and we went to Mexico and she bought one off of this girl who was walking down the street. I wish I could. I wanted to put her name in my book, but I was so afraid that what like. I didn't want to out somebody or get them in trouble for having sold their ID on the street of, you know, Rosarita to some underage kid. Um, But yeah, I think she was like 30 and I was 16 at the time passing as 30, which now in retrospect, I'm a little pissed about. (laughs) That is so funny. And what about acting at a young age? Were you, you know, I just from friends that I had that grew up when they're, parents split when they were really young. A lot of times there's, you know, I kind of came to the game a little later, Mm -hmm. Um, but I know a lot of friends who felt like, you know, maybe splitting time between houses or whatever it was or feeling outside of things lent its way somehow to acting. Like, did you know pretty early on that you wanted to act or what, what was that? Was it just arts in general? I think, well, I remember when we were kids, it was like we would get a $2.50 allowance. And my sister would use it to buy Lee press on nails. And I would buy these like paper masks and make my sister pretend that I was her foreign exchange student. So I feel like that is like the first sort of sign or like maybe, I don't know. How old old were you at that? I was maybe six, seven, but I didn't start acting until I was probably 12-ish. And I think my dad threw us in a summer camp in Arizona. We were visiting him and he was still, you know, working all day. So we went to camp and that was, the, that was, it was like an acting camp. And that was the first time I was like, what is this? Oh, I want, I want to do this. But I think for me, it's like, I grew up with like two very narcissistic parents and acting was the only way at that time that I could sort of, I'm like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. They sit in a dark room and just, I'm on the stage and I just talk and get to say whatever and they have to listen. They can't escape. This is the ideal profession for me. (laughs) That is so funny. Yeah, I think that's like kind of what drove me to it. That's so fun. So you felt like you almost, yeah, you were I wanted to be heard so desperately. Yes. Yeah. And what about your brother? I, I read some blog of your, it's so funny what you come across as you're preparing totally. to talk to them. I read a blog of yours of, of your brother, but I, is your half brother who had the health scare a couple of years ago? Oh yeah. Well, it wasn't a scare. He got pretty like fucked up. He, uh, my, I have a half brother, he's seven years older. Um, I wasn't raised with him. Uh, but, uh, he moved out to Arizona when I was in high school so he's always kind of been around, I guess. But uh, when I, I don't know, wasn't, it wasn't sort of. Um, it wasn't like you were living in the house with no, each other. No, I had, I had a bunch of stepbrothers in and out that I kind of lived with, but I never lived with Brad. Um, Brad, when he was 45, I guess, it was, it's kind of crazy. He had a myxoma on his heart that sort of became friable and, uh, exploded. We didn't know about it. It was just a random fucked up thing. And, um, he ended up having a bunch of strokes. So, um, yeah. And he kind of went from being like one of these like super macho, like workout dudes to, um, you know, having to sort of like reinvent himself and his like whole life. Is Um, is he okay now? Is he healthy now or is he uh, healthy? Yes. But he has a lot of, uh, issues that he's sort of 
seeking treatment for. You know, he's still using a wheelchair. He can speak again. I mean, he's had he's made such tremendous progress from where he was. But the whole thing is just like, I mean, I'm so proud of him. It's been like a fucking shit show. Such a journey. Yeah. Yeah. And and so so when you grew up, were you I mean, you had like stepbrothers in and out, but like were you kind of on your own in the house or do you have your sister? You have your sister. No, so my sister and I also so I have a full sister okay. who's 16 okay. months younger, and she and I didn't go to high school. So she lived with my mom through high school and I lived with my dad. Really? Which was also so weird in retrospect. Now having kids, I'm like, I can't imagine splitting them. How far apart? From, what were you guys thinking? We're 16 months apart. No, but I mean, how far physically apart? Oh, physically. You? Well, she was in San Diego and I was in Arizona. Oh my God. That's, wow. I know. I know. That's so interesting. So I you know. were, you were essentially like an only child. Well, <laughs> that's the weird thing. I always sort of had a stepbrother around living with me. So I never really, until my senior year in high school, when my dad and my, my insane stepmom divorced, then I was basically sort of, you know, living alone with my dad. We were dating. (laughs) (laughs) And then what about, so I know you went to um, Idlewild and I don't know if it was the high school or summer program or what it was, but I saw, I watched some video of Idlewild, which I had never heard of before, but I watched it and it looked so perfect. I was like, oh, this is the kind of thing that she would make a parody of. (laughs) Oh my God, I wish. Yeah, that was my freshman year in high school. And I was like, I'm going to go to boarding school. I don't want to live with you guys. I I want out. I'm going to, I'm going to be an actor and I need to just go away and and train. (laughs) But I never, my parents never let me go back. After I went that one summer, they're like, uh, yeah, you're not going anywhere ever again. <laughs> and then did you do like, did you play sports or anything like that? Or were you, are you fully in the arts? And so my dad is a, a big sports medicine guy. And, uh, I grew up not realizing that every kid didn't have to work out after school. Like, <laughs> like walking on the treadmill wasn't sort of everybody's after school activity. Um, we've always been forced to run and, I, I, but I never played team sports really. I, I wasn't, I'm too clumsy to be honest. I'm left-handed. I can like barely cut paper. <laughs> I'm, lefty, I'm lefty as well. What's funny. I didn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed just, just, you know, the, the little that I know of you from your online persona, I would, I wouldn't have been like, Oh, she played sports, but you have so many other things that I was like, Oh my God, That's you're funny. so prolific. I'm like, she probably played sports too. So let me just ask her. <laughs> No, not at all. So what, what was the progression? And you go to that acting camp over over the summer, freshman year, you come back to Arizona and you're going to just like a regular high school, a regular high school. Yeah. And, um, I was in the theater department there. Actually, do you know busy Phillips? I, I've met her, but like, she's friends with some friends of mine, but I, okay. I don't really know her. Yeah. Okay. So we went to high school together. Oh, so it was like, always like me and busy, like competing against each other for, you know, the lead in like guys and dolls or whatever it was. And that was sort of my high school experience. <laughs> and also I was obsessed with student government. I don't know why I just like wanted to be on student government. So I was always, you know, running for some weird office, <laughs> but so that was funny. really all I did in high school. <laughs> and, and was it like a particularly, because she's had a nice career. You've had a nice career. Was it a particularly good theater program? Was there a teacher there that was interesting? Uh, no, it wasn't great, but we had this insane theater. It was like a, I don't, I want to, I, I forget how big it was now. I mean, I feel like it was, it was just a huge theater and, uh, the theater program, you know, was pretty, they were ambitious with what they, you know, tried to accomplish. We did Medea. Yeah, it was, it it was interesting, but no, it wasn't what, I don't know that there was anything exceptional about it, but. uh, Not a teacher that inspired you guys or whatever, because you've both gone on, you know, that's. Mrs. Carrick was our theater teacher. And I, I vacillate. I'm like, did she like me? Didn't she like me? Not really sure whether it was. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I remember being in like the thespian club or whatever it was called. Um, but 
Yeah, I don't know. Was it was it? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure. What about writing? Did you know back then you were a writer, or not? was that kind of like a later thing? So I wrote of- back then, but I didn't know I was a writer until I was in college, and um, I I always journaled, and then I had a friend who was a grad was in the graduate playwriting department and I was in his thesis. This was at UCLA. And he, I gave him some, something that I'd written and he was just like, you're a writer. Why are you not writing? You need to write a one woman show. So that was sort of what started everything. And I wrote the show and that's how I got sort of representation in LA and started auditioning. Yeah. But it all came out of uh, kind of having that encounter with my friend, Chad. And that was called Not a Pretty Girl. <laughs> Based on the Ani DeFranco album yeah. that I was obsessed with at the time. Yes. And, and it was it was a comedy as well. I mean, it, what, did it, what was the tone of it? Oh, my God. It's basically, I mean, it's so embarrassing now. I probably have a tape of it somewhere, but it was basically my first book. Stories that I ended up sort of using later on, but like the dramatic version, it was funny. But also, I mean, it was also so fucked up. There were so many things I said about my parents in that play that I just can't even believe they <laughs> endured it. <laughs> so, you so, know, you have so much rage when you're that age. But that, that's, what's, that's interesting to hear that because that's something that I, you know, when I was thinking, okay, we're going to sit down, I'm like, you know, maybe this is too extreme of a comparison, but I'm thinking of like Lenny Bruce or someone like that who like pushes the envelope. Like, like, like it's a social commentary though. Like that's what I feel like the stuff that I've seen. And, you know, I read a little bit about like sometimes where, where you talked about all the times you've been in trouble on social media, stuff like that. And I'm like, what makes you funny I, I think is that you are willing to say what other people are not. Yes. And, and you're not afraid <laughs> to ruffle feathers, but it's not, so that's interesting that you felt that back then in college. Cause I think for myself, uh, I was an English major and I remember like one particular paper where I kind of like bucked against the system and, and like wrote something anti whatever the book was. And it yeah. was like the first time I found, I mean, I can't even say found my voice, but like in a right. little way, cause I was always right. such a like, you know, good boy, getting yes. good grades, kind of not rocking the boat. And yes. it sounds like you just were willing to rock the boat, right? All the way. Because back. I had nothing to lose. You know, I think when you grow up and nobody's really listening to you and you don't feel seen or heard or like you are the priority in any way, you don't have anything to lose. So it's like, especially like when I started tweeting that there was this, and especially at the time, Twitter was a different place. You could get away with anything. You could say anything. And for me, I was like, what, what do I fucking have to lose? I'm just going to put it out there. And it doesn't, you know, there are no consequences. Now it's a different beast entirely. It, there are only consequences. <laughs> what was that year when you, I don't even remember when Twitter started. I was kind of late to the game to all. Yeah, like, I would say the golden age of Twitter was like 2000. 9, 2010, 2011, 2012, even 2013. And then it changed. So a little bit of 2014, but no, it was done by then. Like once Twitter, once Instagram sort of started Twitter, um, I don't know. And then so, and then as soon as the, you know, the whole Trump, everything like that, just the world changed and darkness descended and you could not say anything. It was, it became scary to say anything, to be honest. Yeah. So, so give me, I'm interested in like a timeline kind of of like you're at UCLA. Yes. There's a, there's a bunch of things about you. Hang on. Cause you, so you graduated in three years. Yes. And tell me if any of this is wrong, cause I'm getting into the internet, but like you graduated three years, you went to Paris, you went to Germany, you speak fluent French fluent German. I don't really speak French anymore, but I was, I was actually like talking about that the other day. I guess the Hilaria Baldwin thing. I was like, you know, the internet says all sorts of things about us. The fact that I speak fluent French and then I turned to my doorman who's French. I was like, 
have I ever spoken to you in French? He's like, no. <laughs> so, but, but what was that timeline? So you do that one woman show, you kind mm-hmm. of get attention, which is not normal. I mean, you know, I, I came to New York and, and was pounding the pavement for years before anything really happened. I was doing plays for free, all that. You're in college, you do this thing and, and boom. Well, I got attention in so much as I I had an agent and I was repped and I was like being sent out on soap operas. I wouldn't say that like I was like the new hot thing or anything like that. But did you but did you you then follow that up by just picking up and going to Europe or what was that? So I auditioned, you know, so I was like doing, you know, random guest star stuff. And then I my saw so I had been in France already before I did the one woman show I studied in France my sophomore summer with Berkeley or something I was over there doing like a French program what year is this like 90 99 99 okay okay and I I randomly this is like the weirdest part I randomly find this phone number in the back of a Rolodex I had at the time I had had this piece of paper on me forever but I never had seen what a European phone number looks like so I didn't realize that this series of numbers zero zero four nine was somebody's phone number so you know and I had had this foreign exchange student that went to my high school that I always thought was so weird I thought he was a vampire he played classical guitar he had like long fingernails and was like creepy but I did like take him under my wing and like take him to see Rocky Horror Picture Show and, and like <laughs> try to be kind. Anyway, I'm like, I'm in Europe. I don't know anybody. I should just call Alex because this is his phone number. Let me just call the number and see what he's up to. How far can Germany and France be from each other? I didn't fucking know. So I call the number and the woman on the other line answers and she's like, Jenny. And that's all she said. I'll never forget. It was so bizarre. And She's like, says something to me in German. I didn't speak German at the time. And next thing you know, you know, she hangs up. He calls me back on this payphone in the lobby of my hotel. And he sounded like a grown up. He was, he had become a man. It was like a different person entirely, which sort of threw me. And he's like, you know, I said, well, oh, I'm going to Germany this weekend. Do you want to meet me? Do you want to meet up? So he's like, okay, where? And I was like, well, I'm going to Munich. I had no idea. That was like an eight hour train ride from where I was. I traveled to Europe, to Munich and I meet him and he was like a fully different human being. He had been stuck in Belgrade during the 99 bombings. So because of the whole Kosovo situation. So he had been stuck there. He had like escaped with like women and children through Hungary, taken a boat, got back to Germany. It was like a whole fiasco, which of course in turn made me feel like, Oh my God, you've seen the world. I hate my country. I don't ever want to, I I, what I'm doing with my life is so insignificant compared to, you know, what you just went through and, and your life. Uh, so I end up like falling madly in love with him, which is hysterical. I go back to college and we sort of have this relationship, long distance relationship for about like two, two and a half years. And then I graduated early and graduating early was sort of a random thing where I realized because I'd been taking all of these courses during the summer, I had enough credits to do it. So I was like, well, so it wasn't like you were you know, trying to get, get out of there. You just happened to have been ambitious. And I had a chip on my shoulder because my brother had graduated in five years and everyone was like, you can't graduate in three years when I brought it up. And then I was like, fuck you guys, I'm going to. Um, so when I graduated, I was like, you know, what can I do with my life this next year? Like, how can I diversify? Uh, I was also, you know, crazily anorexic at that point after you know, auditioning and being through just like the gauntlet of LA and I was burning out. So I decided to go to Germany and live with this family. So the guy that I had been dating, I I went and I lived with this family and I studied, uh, in Germany for, I don't know. It was, it was, I don't know what, how long, how long I was there, but I, they didn't speak English. So that's how I speak German today. That's why my children speak German is because I had a German boyfriend once. It's sort of ridiculous. 
That is so cool. Now, where does like uh, like the Shakespeare Festival in Oregon, where does that run into everything? Was that like when you were a kid? Was that like a random? Like all of this kind of stuff. All of, My aunt lives up there. So I I spent a great deal of time in, in like the Medford, Ashland area as a kid. Okay. So that was when you were younger. When I was younger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, you're, so you're out now, you go to, you go to Germany. Mm-hmm. I assume that that relationship runs dry at a certain point. Yeah, because we became like siblings. You know, his mom would tuck us into bed at night and his parents became sort of the parents that I never had. They were just like this cute, loving, you know, supportive, married for however many years couple that that I I had always longed for that kind of dynamic. And, um, and of course they like thought I was so sweet because I didn't speak the language. So at first they're like, she's so just perfect. And then as I started learning, I think I became annoying to them. They're like, this is who she is. Fuck. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) So that, so that, that takes you for a couple of years and then you go back to LA or wait. Well, I wasn't there a full year. I was there. I don't know if it was six months or how long I actually lived there with them. Um, but you know, yeah, then, then I, so then I go home because he was studying, he was still studying in Yugoslavia as well. So he had to go back to Yugoslavia and I was like, well, I'm out of here. I'm not going to Yugoslavia. Um, and then I went back to LA and sort of, I guess, faced my fears or, you know, went back to trying to do what I was trying to do in the first place. And, um, and then, yeah, and then I was sort of there working until, I mean, up until when I moved to New York. Which is how long, how long ago is that? Like, we moved to New York in 2015 was like when we finally said, all right, we live in New York. Wow. Okay. So you did a short film with someone that I know, but I haven't seen her in years, but I saw Lauren Bratman. Uh, oh my God, I love Lauren. Yes. And, and Kat directed and Kat it. And I remember up. hearing about this thing. Whenever it happened, I don't know. Was that like the early 2000s? Maybe. 2008? Okay. No, 2009. I know Kat's husband, Reese, through like just through auditioning and and we we would see each other all the time and then kind of got friendly through that. I haven't seen him in a while, but I saw that and I was like, oh, I remember that film. It was a short film that kind of made some waves, I think, right? Yeah, it, it did the festivals. I mean, it was pretty funny because I wrote that. It, so that was sort of my first foray into sort of script writing, I would say. I, I had dabbled before, but this was the first thing I wrote that actually we made. Um, and that was about me trying to kidnap my ex-boyfriend's girlfriend, like in an attempt to like make her like me to see how cool I was so that they would want to continue hanging out with us. Um which my ex really did not appreciate. And I think that might've been the nail in the coffin for our relationship. Even though it was tongue in cheek, I'm assuming it was a dark comedy. Yes. A dark comedy. Um, yeah, she, the ex, uh, well, his, he married that girl. So that's like the problem right there. The, if you marry the person that you date right after, you know, whoever it is, then that person is fucked. Like you're never going to be friends with them. And I, in my mind was like, what do you mean? Like we're breaking up, but like you still belong to me. And like one day I'll find you somebody perfect for you. And like, you'll be the godfather to my children. And you know, we'll all like go on vacation at a timeshare in Hawaii together. But that like was not the plan that she had. (laughs) So, so uh, that's funny. So I'm interested then in this kind of, you know, the way you and I met, which I guess is, you know. It, and Julie Benz was in that film, actually. Oh, Julie was in that. As Julie well. played the ex. Ah, now it's all coming together. Death. So Julie yeah. Benz, for anyone who's listening, is a past guest on 10,000 Nose and is friends with Jenny. And that's how this came about, which was Julie posted a really very generous video of my book. And you responded where was this book when I was, when I was acting or like in the beginning or whatever it was. And then that's how we got our back and forth and everything. So, so what I'm interested in is like, you know, in the spirit of 10,000 no's acting, you, you still, I mean, you still act now, but you, but you're really trying not to act. Is it only if, if, but if somebody like, if one of your friends was like, I wrote something for you, I want you to do it. Would you do it? Or are you totally? Yeah, that's 
no, that's has happened. That's like the only time I'll do it because otherwise I'm like, I'm tra- don't you feel as an actor? I'm like, I'm trapped here. I can't leave. Like they are in charge of me. I hate that feeling. It just gives me such anxiety, especially like God forbid a night shoot that I'm like, I'm really fucking trapped. I can't handle it. So I, that's I, my, that what, that's my question kind of is like you, you, cause you know, the 10,000 no's and kind of reframing and pivoting or whatever. It's like, this is what you were doing. You were acting. Yes. What was it? Would you say that it was like the nose cape kept coming in to the point where I don't think this is the case where you couldn't work. So you, then you wrote, or was it more of that which you felt constricted by it? So you were like, no, 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 no. I have a voice. I'd rather express my voice than wait for someone else to hire me. So I think it was both. I think that I was so beat down by hearing no's. I mean, there were so many things as I'm sure you and so many actors can understand. There were so many jobs that broke my fucking heart that like I got too invested in that I thought I was getting and that didn't work out. And it was just like, just soul crushing. And I think kind of what happened, but, but I wouldn't have like given up. I was too much of like a Rottweiler about like wanting what I wanted to ever sort of be able to like walk away from that because it was a drug, right? It's like you get a job and you're on top of the world. You feel validated. You feel seen as a person. You're excited. And then like, you're not working and then you're nothing again. And you're just like, Oh, why? What? You know, I don't matter. I can't, especially in LA, you're like, I can't go out. The first question anybody asks is what are you working on? I can't even fucking leave my house now. So, and then being married to this famous guy only sort of drove the knife in deeper because I felt I was jealous of him. I felt eclipsed by him. I felt like everywhere I went, you know, it was just like the light was on him and everybody wanted to talk to him and people were friends with me. Then I started to feel like, because they're trying to get him Um, and so then like at home, even in my marriage, I was just like, fuck you, (laughs) like, fuck you for being famous. Like, it's really annoying to me. Um, and at the time, no, I wasn't trying to write. I sort of fell into the writing. What happened was I was tweeting and I was getting all of a sudden, all of this attention for being funny. And as an actress, I never I wasn't really ever sent out on comedy at the time. I thought, especially because I, I didn't, you know, what is the role for like a comedic woman who's like in her twenties, that's blonde. You're going to be like the bimbo. And I could not do that, especially just because of like my history. And like, I feel like my mom is like a very like over-sexualized human being. I can't like, I, I, that's not like how I present. I can't like use my sexuality in that way. I'm just not, that's not my vibe. So I didn't want those roles. And there wasn't really a place for kind of anything else in, in the comedic space at that time. Um, so I was going out on all these procedurals and, you know, fucking suits and fucking, you know, mad men and like all of this kind of heavier stuff. Um, and so I wasn't getting the kind of recognition, recognition. Uh, I was just sort of servicing a script but with Twitter, it was like I was getting validated for having, you know, my own thoughts, my own voice. And, and it was just coming out funny. And so then I went to with Jason. I think the, the kind of like how the writing sort of started was Jason and I were in Vegas. We had this crazy experience with this prostitute. And I was like, I'm going to write about this. I think I'm going to write about this. I had to ask his manager permission at the time, which like now I wouldn't. I'd be like, I'm doing whatever I want. I'm sorry. <laughs> Nobody in your life is going to tell me what to, I can and can't write. Um, but I asked if I could publish this article. I gave it to Playboy. And the guy at Playboy was like, I like the article. I don't think anybody's going to care about who your husband is. And I, because I said to him, I've said, you know, I have this article that I wrote, but my husband is sort of well known. So it, like it might, cause, you know, make some waves. I just want to like, like preface that. Like, are you okay with this? And he's like, nobody's going to give a shit. It like broke his sight. It went like fucking viral. And from that I go, I, you know, I started getting calls from producers being like, do you want to, you know, you want to try to write a a script. And at the end of that year, after I took like a a position writing, like a standing column for playboy online, um, 
it was called the smoking jacket at the time. It was like their comedic sort of spot. Uh, I had enough articles where I was like, I'm going to put a book proposal together. So that's kind of how it started. And at the time, it was the end of a really bad year where I had been told no a lot. I had lost so many things. People had dyed my hair black for screen tests and then not given me the role. Like it was a horrible year. And with the book, every publisher passed besides St. Martin's. They were just like, this is crass. This is terrible. I can't believe she would want to put these things out there. Like this is just not the kind of writing that, you know, our company wants to take on. And St. Martin's, uh, Unif Soha, who was at St. Martin's at the time, was like, you know, I, I think this is fucking funny. I want to do it. And so at the very end of the year, I mean, it must have been like December, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was right before Christmas. They yeah. called and said, okay, uh, you know, we're going to give you 50 grand to write a book. <laughs> and then the book became a, a, a New York Times bestseller. I mean, it was really random. And then from that, I ended up, you know, it was almost like I had to write to act. Otherwise, I, I couldn't do it the other way. So then by writing, I was able to, you know, make the show for ABC. And, um, and then I kind of like found myself acting again. But now I don't really want to act. I mean, I really just don't love doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I can. Well, but you did. So the, the, the film, the short film you did, though, that was you wrote that. That was 2008. You guys got married 2008. So you so you did have like a little inkling of it, but you weren't writing articles at that point. But you had written yes. something and you had done the one woman show. So it's, it was in you, but it, it wasn't. It was in me, yeah. But I wasn't like, I was so hellbent on like, you know. Yeah. I don't know, being on a star show. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure what my goal was exactly. Well, people, I don't think that, you know, what I've learned with having this podcast and, and, and then just all the conversations it's led to with people and the book and all that is like people don't really get it when you tell them how the word you used soul crushing, how soul crushing it can be. And, and just what that is. And they look at you and they go, well, what does she have to complain about? She's got 420,000 followers. She's got the New York times bestselling book. It looks like, Oh, it's all gravy from the outside. And and you, but, but when you talk to you, you realize like, yeah, that came from. Oh yeah. This, this, lack or this like hitting a wall and it and it yes. really huge it, deficit <laughs> it's just insane right i mean it, yeah. it's it, and and so what i love in your story is how you and, and this is kind of what i end up talking about on a lot on this show is that you know failure is opportunity totally. and i put the failure in quotes because it's not like it's failure but i i go totally. you know you it the challenge forced you to use your real gift. It seems completely, completely. Oh yeah. Like I always say that, that failure is like the biggest gift, the biggest fucking gift. I mean, like being knocked down is what made me so angry, which is what made me so funny, which is, you know, which is like what motivated me to sort of keep going. Um, I wanted to share with you this because like, this is something that's going on right now that like you wouldn't find online, but like, it's just so in line with what you're talking about. So the past two years, I've been working on this novel and, you know, I do have two successful books, right? I I came off of having, you know, the last book thinking, you know, I sold the last book to Warner Brothers, wrote wrote the script for Anne Hathaway. I felt like I can definitely go go back and write another book. Like how hard can it be? I, I have two, you know, great books that are out there that have both like, you know, I've been able to flip them into other things. How hard can it be? So literally I thought, you know, I don't have enough of, I don't have enough life experience to write a third memoir. I'm not there yet. I I haven't lived it enough. Now, after this fucking pandemic, I probably do. But at the time, two years ago, I definitely did not. So I went, I signed with this like kind of like fancy schmancy lit guy who looked at me, I walk into his office and he says to me, he's like, your last two books, I mean, like they did okay. And I was like, what? They were New York Times bestsellers. He's like, yeah. He's like, that doesn't really mean shit. He's like, they did okay. He's like, your first book sold better than your second book. And you know, I mean, so you want to tell me what you want to do next? Or do you want me to tell you what I think you should do? And I was just like, (sighs) 
fucking what? And I said, I guess, tell me what you think I should do. And he said, I think you have a voice for fiction. I think you should try writing fiction. He said, and if you can write fiction, you can have whatever kind of life you want. And I left his office that day reeling, thinking this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. I'm going to write a mom book. It's what like my audience expects of me next. That's where I'm going. And like, fuck him. So I went home and I started writing the proposal for the mom book and I was bored to death. It was not good. It was not anything. It was just all regurgitated, you know, material that I used in other places and just nothing that I would have been proud of putting out there. So thought about it some more and went back to that fucking guy and was like, okay, like challenge accepted. I'm going to try to write a novel. So I spent that entire year writing a novel. We took it out last October. I, you know, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, I was just like, I guess this is what, you know, how, how do you extend a story for 365 pages? I was, I didn't, I was just kind of like taking a shot in the dark. I got into okay, October of 2019 before the 2019. pandemic. And okay. I thought, okay, this is ready. I guess, you know, people have told me it's ready. I'm going to like, let him take it out. And by the way, this is like a, an agent where he's one of these guys that like, you know, he's, I thought that I knew everybody would read his proposal, put it that way. There was no one who was going to be like, no, but the material wasn't good enough. Like what he had wasn't strong enough. And I started getting no's. I started getting, I like her voice, but like the story needs whatever. I, you know, I don't really get this, blah, blah, blah. One pass, two pass, three, four passes, right? And and I like I knew he had sent it out to I don't know, maybe like twelve different houses. And at four or five passes, I I panicked. I was in shock, right? Because I was just like, this is what I thought I I did with my life now. This is like where I thought I was supposed to go next. I've worked a year on this, you know, a, a, a memoir takes you nine fucking months. <laughs> I've worked a fucking year. And this thing isn't going to sell. I just saw it. I was like, this thing isn't, isn't, it's not going to work. So I called him. I called Richard (laughs) and I said, you've got to pull the fucking submission. It's not ready. So he pulled the submission. I drank a bottle of wine, which by the way, I don't drink. So (laughs) I was like, that's where I was at. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to put this in a drawer because that's just not who I am. Right. I can't like just give up on something. So, and of course being an actor, it's like, you've heard no so many times. You're like, it doesn't, it doesn't get in anymore. I don't care about the no. That's just like noise. I have to figure out how I'm going to fucking make this work. So I went, you know, I went back to the, to the draft, threw it out, started over page one, rewrite. I took a whole, another year, and so it's been two years and I sent this submission out. I, the, the book is out now with public, with public, with publishers. It went out. They told me it had, I changed agents. The next agent also like, it was a mess. You know, she's like, I gave her the book and then she's like, by the way, I'm pregnant and I'm leaving in two weeks. <laughs> I'll be back in a year. I'm like, I'm sorry. So then I got a different agent and Uh, they said to me, you know, if Joe Biden wins, we can send this out in November. If Joe Biden doesn't win, this can't go out until January. Joe Biden won, thank God. And the book went out the second week in November. I'm still waiting to hear. And I'm in hell. (laughs) Because if it doesn't sell, I mean, I think it's good. I think it's fucking ready now. And I've learned so much about just like the art of writing a novel. But I'm, I'm in purgatory. I'm in fucking purgatory. What's what's funny where my mind goes, and I thought you were going to say this and you can use this if you have to, hopefully you (laughs) won't have to. If you feel like it's good, it's probably good. But if it doesn't go, what I thought you were going to say is that you're going to create a television series about a mom stuck in a pandemic and all of this, and she's writing a novel. And that's what I would do. I might have to. Because you I guys are hysterical to. on Instagram as a couple. You're really funny and the whole thing. And there's like, there's such a backdrop to your world. So I thought you were going to say, 
it's you're going to turn it into a TV show where the main character is writing this novel and the novel can't oh get picked up. She had these two bestsellers and now she hits, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and she can't do it. She rewrites it. She thinks it's good and it still doesn't go. But meanwhile, yes. life is what happens when you're making plans. That's that would be my pitch for the TV. Holy. Well, I think what I would do if it doesn't go, I've decided. And I and I thought that I was kind of had too much pride for this. But I think at this point, I would have to self-publish because I know it's good. I think the, you know, it is, it's about social media mom, influencer moms. It's sort of like Heather's based in lower Manhattan. So it's dark, but it is like such a commentary on what like we're seeing right now with like all of these moms that I need to have it out in the world, regardless of if a publisher, you know, wants to like stand behind it. It's like if you have the content, Nobody can take that from you. The, the yes. agents and the publishers, all they're doing is pushing your shit around. Like that, you've got the gold. They don't have the gold. They're just, they're just, right. you know, doing this. So yes. anyway, yeah. that that's you know my two cents or whatever is that if you like it, yeah, with your, with your audience, I, I see it because I see you know because I've been looking on your Instagram to go like you have a very engaged audience that really listens to you and. If you have something that you think is good, you've got the channel to them. Yes. So why do you need the middleman? It's just about the ego of wanting to be published. To You're already a New York Times bestselling author. You're a published author. Who cares? You did it. You checked no, that box. Why do I not? <laughs> why do I care? You own. It's real estate. It's real estate. Yeah. I, I, that, that's yeah. anyway. I mean, you're so right, though. Jen Lancaster, who wrote Bitter as the New Black, and like, you know, she's so prolific. She's like, the most money I've ever made is on the book I published myself. (laughs) She's like, it's a totally different ballgame. It really leads into where I kind of wanted to go with you, which is like, I'm I'm looking at your Instagram account, and and I wanted to ask you about these companies, like if you have a stake in the companies or if you just work with them on a commission basis. But like, you have, whether you know it or not, you're like your own network. I mean, you really are. It's like, and, and all of us are, you know, yes. but you're, you're a good, vibrant network. Like you have a distribution model. It's, it's like, yes. that's why Netflix was able to do what Netflix did, which yes. is they spent all their time making inroads into people's living rooms. Yes. And then when they have content, they yes. don't have to pay a hundred million dollars to go advertise it because they get it right into your living room. And that's why they're beating everybody and same with Amazon. And, and you have like a, you know, like a mini, a mini version, a micro version. <laughs> Guess, what? Guess what? You sell a hundred books versus a thousand or a thousand versus a million, but you own all of it. You, yeah. Over the long run, you're probably still going to make more money. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. You make no money. You only make your advance in books. Right. So yeah. I don't know. I think you gotta, I, I, I would, I would really think about that. Because I mean, look, if it works out, great. But I would just not be sitting here stewing because, like, f them. Yeah, you're right. You know what I mean? I like, come to time to be like, you know what? I'm basically not actually good. no. <laughs> Matt Del Negro told me Matt Del pretty much Netflix. So <laughs> I'm Netflix. <laughs> you heard of Bezos? I'm Bezos. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, but so, so talk to me a little bit about your whole, like the, the Instagram I've noticed and I, and I'm sorry, I'm forgetting it, but I know you guys have a great tagline and I don't know if it's your company or, um, or if you work with them, but you have a, it's wine, but cooler. I thought was great. Ramona, (laughs) that's that's a great tagline. So (laughs) is that you, are you, do you have a stake in that or is that someone else that you do? Yeah. So I have equity in that company and I'm sort of their whatever chief branding officer means. Uh, I came on late last year and basically, you know, the, the sommelier and sort of owner of the company, Jordan said, I want, I want to find somebody who has the same ethos and sort of can be the face of this company. And she calls the, 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 the sparkling wine is called Ramona because Ramona is sort of her sister's alter ego whenever she's being crazy. And she's like, you are Ramona. You are what I'm talking about. And I feel like you would be a great 
rep for this, you know, what we're trying to do here. Um, and I said to her, I was like, listen, I don't want to do swipe ups. I don't want you to pay me a fee. I said, I'd rather have a stake in the company and let me just work it organically into what I already do. I'm not a big drinker. So for me, at first I wasn't sure it made a lot of sense, but now I don't know. I just love every, I love what it's about. I love that it's female run. I love that it's all organic. I love that it's 90 calories. (laughs) And like, you know, if you, if you, I'm also with somebody who's sober, so I'm not going to be opening a big bottle of wine at home at night. Yeah. Um, It's kind of fun. Well, you know what it it makes, do you know, Simon Sinek? Have you ever heard of him? Start with why? Yes. Because it's reminded me of that. Like he talks about, there's a great book, start with why, but he, he talks about like, Harley Davidson and like Apple and Disney and all these companies that are more about their why than they are about their what. It's not about the product. It's about their ethos and their culture. And that's why people that don't even own a Harley will have a Harley tattoo on their back because it's more about the community. It's like, it's like the brand. And it sounds like that. Like maybe you don't actually partake in that product, but who's to say they're not going to have you know, a non-alcoholic version of, of that product, but it's yeah. more like you buy into the, the company. So yes. it doesn't, so I'm it doesn't doing a non-alcoholic that's coming in February where I'm going oh, to, Italy to sort of, yeah, help them create it. That's I mean, I, I think that's so cool. Is it so, so, and then there was another, well, actually, I don't know if the, the Alice and Olivia, are those just friends of yours that they, well, that's you guys, just a really good friend of mine. And I'm okay. always sort of hyping her brand um, just because it's fun and I don't know, I love her. And I, and I think that's one of the weird, the, I, I don't know if you noticed, probably you've been through it when selling a book, you're like begging people, please post about my book. You're just like groveling for somebody to give you a shout out because you want it out there. And it's such a fucking grind. And so when I have friends or even just small businesses that I kind of come in contact with, I was like, hit me up. If use me, use my platform. If you ever want me to hype your shit, just let me know. It doesn't cost me anything. Right. And I'm happy to do it. So right. that's with Stacey. I just, I'm always that's so know, cool. talking about her stuff. Your writing process. Are you, yeah. are you someone who is always writing every day or is it only when you're on like the, the novel or on the other, yeah. you know, like do you have to have an assignment to be writing or are you just have to be writing to be living? So, I have, when I'm on, so I always, I've asked a couple friends of mine, how, how do you work on so many things at once? Because when I'm working on one thing, I'm obsessive. I can't work on something else. It stresses me out to have another project going. I, I wrote a column for parents magazine for the past year and a half. And that would always be like annoying to me in the middle of trying to deal with the novel. Um, but I don't need to write every day. I definitely love when I'm the best part of writing is like when you're done with it, you're like, it's fucking good. <laughs> you know, I love that feeling. Um, but lately, because I've been in this weird purgatory waiting for news on the book, I do find that like my self-esteem is so wrapped up in working. And when I'm not working, I do start to kind of hate myself. <laughs> so I recently did start working on, um, you know, an article that, that I, that I think I want to put out. Um, and, and what is it physically? Are you, do you have like a certain, um, method? Is it in the morning? Do you have to have your coffee just right? Is there one spot in the house where you write or is there like a, a, a cafe? Obviously that's not happening in 2020, right. but is there any, any kind of stuff like that or is it random? It's so random. And I, I don't know if you find this, but like, there was one room in our old house that I wrote a movie in. I wrote a film there and I could never write there again. I was like, once I'm done with this space, I can't, I couldn't go back in to do something else besides like return emails. Um, and there are different places around the house that I'll sort of set up and different cafes, you know, near my place where I've written in the past, but no, it is pretty random. I just have to have my kids not around. Yeah. <laughs> or like Jason will be like sitting, my house is a mess, but he'll be like sitting in that chair and I, he's not even doing anything. And I'm trying to write and I'll look at him. I'll be like, you have to fucking go. He's like, it's my room too. What did I do? He's not even speaking, 
but I can't have his presence. Yeah. Well, this is why you're very refreshing to me because I think you and I on, on Instagram, when we first went back and forth setting this up, I was saying, you know, I was away from my wife and kids for literally, I think it was 82 days straight. Oh my God. And I went back right before Christmas and and everybody else was like, oh my God, they must be so happy to have you back. And I'm like, are they? <laughs> my no, wife, re-entry's the worst. Yeah, because my wife was like, you've been on your, because I was, I was like looking around, like, I'm like, oh, are you going to do that? You know, like, yes, the cabinets are a certain way and I'm totally. just like, yeah, I have my particular way. And she's like, yes. you've been on your own a little too long. She's like, blow your roll. When I hear you guys talk, I'm like, I, I recognize a, I'm sure most couples do. I think that's why people find you funny. It's a, you're just you're oh putting that there. You know? <laughs> and did you buy her jewelry? I did. I was did. she happy? She was. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I got help from the costume designer on my show. So I knew I'm too much of a moron to do anything on my own that would be, you know, proper. So I like the costume designer and I was like, Hey, what, you know, what do you think? What would be something? And, and she's a good got, gift. What's an 82 days away gift. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I, I, that's exactly what she did. She was just, she was great because I, it, it, it worked like Deirdre was happy with it. And I was like, good. That's nice. That's nice. Good. So yes. she really, I mean, when I tell you through the ringer, I mean, you know, she was home, two kids, online learning, two dogs, you know, we don't have any relatives out there. 13 and 10. Our son's 13, our daughter's 10. And they they have not been in school since March. So the fact that she didn't... That's crazy. And and I was only home for like, uh, I don't know, 10 days, maybe nine days. And now I'm back here. I'm in Brooklyn again. And how long are you here this time? This time I'm only here for a week. And then at the end of the month, I'm here for another week. And in between there, I'll be home and, and then I'm done. So okay. when you go home, do you have to quarantine or does she let you in? When I go home, I, I went, I went in because I get tested. I mean, when I'm here, I'm like the cleanest you could be. Like I'm in this apartment. <laughs> they don't I, let you out, I right? I go for a run. Like I don't see anybody. I'm like a monk and they okay. test us all the time for the show. So. And which show is it? Uh, City on a Hill. It's uh, okay. Kevin Bacon. It's a um, Showtime Fun. show. So we're in season two. We're almost done uh, filming this, and then it'll it'll come out in March, uh, is oh, what we've been say. told. So that's awesome. Uh, oh, that's yeah. fun. So, uh, all right. So, so let me give you like the three questions that I like to end it with. Um, okay. You kind of answered this first one already. People tend to answer it, um, but I'm going to ask it again anyway. The word "no" means what to you? The word no for me feels like try a different way. It's always like, no, okay. So you're not telling me no. You're just saying like this, this door, like there's three doors, right? This door doesn't work. You got to go in that door. <clears throat> yeah. Um, or if, if not, you have to like fucking break the window <laughs> and climb in. Yeah. Well, you, I'm coming in. You have to just accept that I'm getting in. Yeah. You said it earlier You when we were, I think we were talking about the novel maybe or something. And you said, you know, they told me, no, like, you know, I no longer accept it. I've had so many no's. They just don't even, they can't even penetrate me. Anymore. They don't come through. No, yeah. it's just like static noise. I'm like, okay. Okay. So what now, now what's next? Yeah. Um, okay. What about, and you may have just answered it with your last two words, but do you have any mantra or any kind of uh, philosophy of life if you could boil it down to like a phrase or whatever that when everything goes sideways, it kind of gets you through? Oh, that's good. Um, <clears throat> well, have you read this book, The Untethered Soul? No. I've heard it's of it, but I don't fantastic. know. It. It's fantastic. And I think when I turned 40... 39 was a hard year. I just started to freak out about like, I'm going to die. Something's wrong with me. You know, went to tons of doctors to like try to figure out that I, you know, basically just needed to be on Zoloft. But like, but there's, there's the second chapter of that book talks about how um, sort of when things are happening to you, 
you know, there's things that you kind of get stuck on and then you'll ruminate and you'll stay in a loop on it. And if you can just sort of breathe through that, like initial, like pain and anxiety and sit in that anxiety of it, if you can just kind of allow yourself to have the feeling it passes. The only way of feeling gets stuck is if you don't want to let it in, if you let it in, it passes through you. So I think that's kind of something that I have to think about a lot in life, especially having kids. Yeah. I, yeah, I can identify with that. Totally. Um, yeah. A, a lot of stuff I've been listening to lately will talk about, you know, talking about meditation, talking about sitting with it, not, you know, yeah. not negating something, but trying actually, to struggle against it and fight in that, you know, yeah. you got to lean into it a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Total. Um, last question. If, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? Oh my God. I think I would, I think I would have intervened around 18 and I would have said to myself, you know, you already are winning. You're already winning. You win in the end. You will win. You are winning already slow the fuck down. You don't need it today and you're not going to get it today. You need to just enjoy it. You know, like I graduated college in three years and I wish I hadn't. I really regret not experiencing more of it and just hanging in that and, and, you know, absorbing everything I could and taking as many fucking random classes as possible. I was just so eager to sort of prove myself and get somewhere and like, you know, be recognized that I didn't enjoy a lot of those early years. That's a great answer. And what about now? You feel like you're, you're enjoying your, your, your yeah, I think that, you know, I hate, I, I feel like once I started writing, I became a bit more like the master of my own universe. The thing with writing, I don't know if you feel this way, but it was like, why did I want to just play one part in somebody else's story when I can literally play every part, create the story and like dictate the outcome? I mean, it sort of weirdly gives you a God, <laughs> but it's, yeah, I think I am at now at peace. And I also like don't want to be famous the way I used to be famous. Like another weird thing that recently happened was Jason Okay, so this is like, you know, so much of my life being eclipsed by Jason, but here, here is like the Times Square. He had to go to Times Square to do an interview for this new Fox thing he's doing. And he's like, they want you to come. They want, they want us both to do it. They want to have a midnight moment with us. At the old me would have been like, this is a great opportunity for me. I'm going to be on Fox. I need to get hair and makeup. I need to get, I was like, fuck them. <laughs> like, so they can suck my dick. Like, I'm not going into hair and makeup. A midnight moment. I, that's like, I'm a fucking prop. Like, do you think I'm that desperate to, for fame that I need to go do a fucking midnight moment in the middle of a pandemic? No, go by yourself. And like, we got in this huge fight where he's like, you don't support me. You won't put your own shit aside to just like go and like be with me on New Year's. And I was like, I won't. Sorry, I can't. <laughs> I have too much pride for a midnight moment now. I'm at a different place in life. <laughs> you know, I, I hope any actors that have been on the road for a long time with this, have been down the road with this a long time, hear that and will be laughing because that makes me laugh because it's true. <laughs> it's like, and and that would be the thing that, that I, I totally agree with you. And I think it's, I think it's like where I, where I, I, I jump in with you the most is, for me, it was, it was weirdly, it was this podcast that kind of kicked it all off where the whole reason this podcast was started was because I was on a show and they were going to use me more, and oh. it just, but I wasn't contracted. It, it was like I was recurring on this show and they were going to use me even more than they had in the past. And then it just like kind of yep. went away yep. and it was like, I couldn't get arrested. I felt good in the rooms, but I was like, I, I'm so mad that I have to wait for someone to hire me. And I said, I'm starting this thing on my laptop. I don't care if two people listen. I don't care. I'm yes. doing this. Yes. And then that shifted everything. I mean, like right? everything has shifted since. And then a book came from it. Like I didn't, it didn't plan. Yeah. It just came. And it's, it's what you're talking about. Yeah. It's, it's pulling it into your, 
because I, I identify with you. I'm happier now. It's like yeah. you, it's like we we pulled it into our own. We're we're driving the car a little bit more, not totally, yeah. but a little yeah. bit more. And yes. and so you don't have to go to Times Square. No, for the midnight moment. You know, like, as fuck. No, that's 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 Fox's narrative. That's not yours. Exactly. You're yeah. not, you're not, you're not, they're pretending that it's great for you, but it's not. Totally. It's, you should be like, yeah, pay me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You want me to show commercial? up? Yeah. Exactly. You're not even going to cover my glam. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh my God. Um, well, Jenny, you're, you're really, you're awesome. It's really nice talking to you. You and too. I'm glad, thank, thank you, you so for doing much. this. This came about so randomly and I you know. were so immediately game to do it. And I was kind of like I'm a thousand knows. This is like the story of my life. I have to be on this. Ten thousand knows. <laughs> Even more so. Yeah. Okay. More. <laughs> The, the, uh, it. No, no, but that it was, it was just very cool of you to do. It was, it was like you, you reposted the thing. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect, I was like, I'm going to just, I don't care. I'm just going to, you said like, yeah, where was this book? I'm like, I'll ask you to do it. And you yes, said, you got to have Jason next. Yeah. It was, it was very cool of you to, to just jump in and do it. It was fun. No, I love it. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All right, here we go. Top three takeaways. Number one, it only takes one yes. Sure, we're going to get pummeled. Sure, it sometimes feels like there's no hope or no one gets us. But all you need to do is convince one person. It has to be the right person, but just one. So focus on that one fan. Every publisher passed besides St. Martin's. They were just like, this is crass. This is terrible. I can't believe she would want to put these things out there. Like, this is just not the kind of writing that, you know, our company wants to take on. And St. Martin's, uh, Unive Soha, who was at St. Martin's at the time, was like, you know, I I think this is fucking funny. I want to do it. Number two, failure is the biggest gift. This is a bit of a cheat since our tagline here at 10,000 Knows is failure is opportunity. But Jenny is proving our point. Failure is a gift if you look at it that way. Failure is like the biggest gift, the biggest fucking gift. I mean, like being knocked down is what made me so angry, which is what made me so funny, which is, you know, which is like what motivated me to sort of keep going. And number three, allow yourself the feeling until it passes. You can keep grinding, and Jenny definitely has a lot of drive in her, but sometimes you can only change your direction when you allow things in rather than fighting them tooth and nail. When things are happening to you, you know, there's things that you kind of get stuck on, and then you'll ruminate and you'll stay in a loop on it. And if you can just sort of breathe through that, like, initial, like, pain and anxiety and sit in that anxiety of it, if you can just kind of allow yourself to have the feeling, it passes. The only way of feeling gets stuck is if you don't want to let it in. If you let it in, it passes through you. All right, that is it. Jenny Mollen, thank you so, so much for dropping by, for uh, giving us your wisdom. Really appreciated that conversation. Everybody, thank you for listening. If you dug this show, please go rate and review it, share it with your friends, put it on social media, all that stuff. If you dig these kind of conversations and you want to have it applied to yourself, we've got the 10,000 Knows Insiders community. There's a link to it in the show notes. You can also go to 10,000knows.com and check it out, uh, see what it's all about. It's basically uh, once a week, we've got these live videos where the you know members are applying these kinds of uh, themes to their own life. And once a month, I bring in a VIP, usually uh, a former guest, sometimes just a friend, someone who's at the top of their field to come in and shed their light on things. So uh, check that out. 10,000 knows insiders community. Uh, we've got the Monday morsels, the mini episodes every Monday. And if you want to be a part of the newsletter every Monday as well, uh, you can go do that at 10,000 knows.com. That is it. Have a great weekend, a great week, uh, whenever you're listening to this. And- And we appreciate you stopping by 10,000 Nose.